the chefs that we work with, they sort of understand that we can't just supply them with with a whole lot of pigs without, um, or a whole lot of loin, or a whole lot of shoulder, or a whole lot of anything else. It's um, it's more a case of this is what we can supply if you can work with it. This is The Crackling. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Growing up in a multi-generational farming family in New Zealand, John O'Hurst always had a strong connection to the land. But lured by the big city lights, he built a career in the hospitality sector until the magnetic pull of the country life was too much to ignore. Buoyed by his belief in quality food, he and his wife Nat created an incredible farm that not only produces quality meat and produce, but helps regenerate the land too. Jono, you're kind of a new breed of farmer, but but what you're doing isn't necessarily new. Um, tell us a bit about the, your approach to farming. Um, I guess our approach to farming, um, a bit of history, I guess. I come from a um, multi-generational farming family in New Zealand. Um, and um, But spend quite a few years working in hospitality, all of it for underhouse. Um, so I had a real connection with food there. So wanted to do something farming that related to food in a small and niche way. So um, our approach to farming is, is ideally producing a great product from a small scale um, using rare breeds um, and, and ultimately using um, regenerative agricultural practices to really look after the, the land that we're working on um, and, and producing food from. So I guess that's, that's where we're, we've come at it from. Um, yeah, yeah, that's... You mentioned you came from the hospitality background with working front of house. What made you do the shift to farming? Um, well, as I said, I, always, I grew up on a farm in New Zealand. Um, I'd always liked that. I didn't see the opportunities as an 18-year-old that I wanted to continue it. I liked the lifestyle, but I also liked the big lights and bright lights of the city. Um, and, and, yeah, and, and then as I matured and I spent 20 years, probably 10 in New Zealand or probably eight in New Zealand and another um, another 10 or 12 in, in Melbourne and, and then later in Dalesford um, working in restaurants, I sort of thought, I can't do this forever. Well, I could, but it might be detrimental to my health and well-being. So um, let's look at a way of staying within food um, with good food, but maybe and uh, approaching it from a different angle, which was let's become a producer. Take, take me back to New Zealand when you were young. Um, you, you mentioned the multi-generational sort of farming background your family has. Well, what was life like for you as a kid? Oh, it was, it was great. Um, multi-generational, it's currently this year will be the 100th year that the family farm has been in the first name. So my father's father's uncle took it in a, in a ballot, and that was in after the First World War in 19, 
1922. Uh, yeah, 19, 18, yeah, it will be 1922, yeah. Um, so my father grew up there. I grew up there. Um, and my sister and her husband are now running it. Um, childhood was, yeah, motorbikes, horses, sheep and cattle, and, and later dad had deer. Um, it was all very um, – it was 800 acres, so it was a moderately large farm by the, in the area it was, but it was, it, was, it was supplying commodities. So it was supplying lambs for export. It was supplying beef for the – a national and international market. Um, it wasn't um, necessarily supplying to a local butchers or anything like that. They grew a bit of grain for their own use, but it was um, it was predominantly you grew you grew the animals and you sent them on a truck and sold them to the the agent or the abattoir or, or the um, processing company, and that was the last you saw of it. Well, you got the check, but yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So that was. Um, but yeah, I loved it. It was great. Uh, beautiful scenery. Beautiful place to grow up. Um, and, and and yeah, loved it. How different has it been, sort of immersing yourself um, in the farming life compared to what you remembered as being a kid of what life was like back then? Um. Yeah, that's interesting, actually. Um. A lot of it, and a lot of the principles, um, Dad probably followed a lot of the sort of um, more so in grazing practices. Um, Dad was reasonably progressive in, in his, his style of farming, and um, tried to manage it as efficiently as possible, so he's not having staff. Um, so a lot of the grazing practices and stuff I remember as a kid of of. Um, Sort of re-adopted. I, mean, I left. We left. I left the farm and went to high school, and then went on overseas. So I only really spent time on the farm after I was about sixteen. Um, so coming back to it in my mid thirties, there was a lot of stuff came back to me quite naturally. There's a lot of stuff I sort of had to um, ask, and there's a lot of phone calls to dad in those days, but. Um, yeah, no, it's um, most things have sort of um, worked out well from that. So that I guess you grow up with that um, when you're growing up on a farm and lived it and breathed it all your life, and for generations, it's sort of ingrained there somewhere. Um, so a lot of it does just come to me, uh, and a lot of it I spend a lot of time thinking about <laughs> before it comes to me. <laughs> I know you're doing a number of things um, there on the property, but um, tell us a bit about the region. What makes it such a good region for growing pigs? Oh, that's wonderful. Um, we're situated about 500 metres above sea level uh, in central Victoria in a town called Dalesford. Um, we're just on the northern side of the Great Dividing Range, so um, our catchment eventually ends up in the Murray after going through several smaller rivers and, and tributaries to get there. Um, we, we have cold winters. We can have weeks and weeks and weeks without sun and just dreary, miserable weather. Um, but we have a definite four-season type of um, – yeah, we have definitely have four seasons throughout the year um, – 
summers can be at this time of the year, so we're in February now, it can be very hot and dry. Um, but at the same time, we've had good rain leading up until now, so it's been been a bit of a blessing at this moment. Um, the our, our particular farm is sort of surrounded by some volcanoes, um, dormant and extinct. Um, so the area is very high, high, high volcanic, fertile soils. Um, lots of minerals in the soils. Which we we believe has a a, a huge impact on um, the way our animals grow and the way the feed we grow for animals grows as well. So um, uh, the other great thing about it is it's quite a well renowned um, area for for food and and the likes. So um, with a lot of um, credit for that. So a lot of credit for that probably goes to um, Ella Wolf Tusker from Lake House, who really put Dalesford in the culinary region on the map. Um, so, and it's also it's a proximity to Melbourne. I'm an hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half maybe from Melbourne um, to, to a market of 4 million people on the door. Not that we'll ever produce enough for that, but it's um, the size of the market that's there and we do a lot of farmers markets so um, that has a great um, that's great for this region as well you um, growing Berkshire pigs on the property well what's, tell us a bit about that breed why did you select Berkshire uh, we selected them because they were a good hardy outdoor breed um, we selected them because they have a, a good moderate sized litter without being over large, I guess. I'd, I I find I didn't want fourteens and sixteen piglets and having to keep all of them going. Um, whether an eight or ten or even a twelve is, is a lot easier to um, easier on the sow and also easier um, just to get them all through to a, a good size. Um, they're a great forager of. Um, of of that of the forages and the forage crops that we grow for them and the likes of that, um, and, and just uh, and again back down to their, their to their um their meat as well with um with their lane of intramuscular fat as opposed to um a large fat back fat cat um means selling the the pork especially in the farmers market situation um. Well, I like a lot of fat and and and, and love it for its flavour. Not not all customers do, and so um, we can sell a chop with ten to fifteen mil of fat, and it and it looks fantastic. Um, so we're not dealing with twenty five mil of fat. Um, again, that that's probably a, a tribute to outdoors and some of the cold winters they have as well. So um, yeah, yeah, but and and they're a fun breed as well. They're very entertaining. Um, very active. Um, I, I've been to friends' places with large whites or large blacks with their eyes, the ears over their eyes, and they just sort of mope around. But um, the Berkshires are a lot more active, <laughs> in my opinion. What's life like uh, on the farm for the pigs? Can you give us sort of the, the life cycle of, of what they experience? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so they um, – a sow's uh, – 
in with a boar until about two weeks prior to farrowing, um, judging on how they're looking. I'll bring them out and, and bring them into a maternity paddock as such with individual huts. Um, and generally speaking, I like to have two or three sows. I have, I have 18 sows at the moment. Um, so I like to have about two or three sows come on together. So we're sort of bringing a, a batch of piglets through together. Um, piglets are born in a hut in the straw outside. Um, sometimes the sow decides that she doesn't want to have the piglets in the hut with straw and will go and make a nest, a farrowing nest under a gorse bush. Or um, I've had one that completely got out of the maternity paddock went and found, I found her down by the dam on Christmas Eve um, under a gorse bush with eight piglets or no, nine piglets and um, I'm like you've got no shade here love, you're in the right near a fox haven um, below the dam, I don't think you should stay here so um, my daughter and I um, my daughter drove the ute and I, I and carried the piglets back on the back of the ute and I managed to convince the sow to go back up towards somewhere that was a little bit more homely. Um, but yeah, no, they, they, piglets are born outside. Um, they're with mums in the maternity paddock for up to two months, maybe a little bit longer. It all depends on how they're sort of weaned by eye and by size rather than by a date on the calendar. And, um, and then we'll, we'll run paddocks of wieners and we run paddocks of growers and we run paddocks of finishers. And they sort of progress up through those stages. Um, being fed twice a day, uh, water wallows being popped up twice a day, um, moved um, onto different paddocks um, retaining ground cover. So we, we move as required. Again, not really set to calendar. So we try and we won't let the pigs sort of create a moonscape of the paddocks, um, which is really important to us. Um, and then, um, and then when it comes to the, the right size, um, the finisher paddock comes down to the shed once a week um, on a Tuesday morning, and I select who's going off to um, the abattoir down in Melbourne and draft them off, and then that evening. About five or six o'clock, I take them down. I try to take them down as late as possible so they don't spend um, too much time in a, a big commercial abattoir. Um, and then they process uh, first and tomorrow morning. Um, and then they'll be transported to my butcher who will cut to my recommendations or requirements and um, either go to markets or to a few restaurants that we supply. So that's, that's the general life cycle, I guess, yeah. Sort of, we average depending on what size we're killing, whether it's 60 or 70 kilo dressed weight or if it's 50 kilo dressed weight, it's between sort of uh, nine and 11 months, I guess, um, depending on how they're growing and, and all those sort of things. You mentioned uh, that the Berkshire breed are real characters on the farm. Do you have, do you have any stories or uh, funny moments or challenges involved in farming them? Um, yeah, <laughs> plenty. Um, uh, piglets getting out is just was, was um, when we first started. I was, I've got to fence everything, and everything's going to be perfect, and everything else. And 
I spent ages trying to get everything right and um, people are talking to Glenn Ira, who I bought my foundation stock off. Um, I think he just said to me one day, Matt, you just you just got to jump in there. Buy the pigs. You'll find out what you need to do as you go on. So a lot of the fencing I did was absolutely worthless because they just went right through it. So I have since worked out over time. Um, and, and little ones, I now have a, a sort of a, a double-netting fence that's about a foot and a half off the ground all the way around the base so they can't get through. Otherwise, they just get through the first netting. Um and then, and they'll just little piglets or sows and, and older piglets. If there's an electric fence, they'll sort of check it out and sense it. And if they happen to touch it with their nose, they'll get a, a hell of a shock because they um, tend to be wet. Uh, little piglets will, by the time they've got the shock, they may be on the back of their neck or on their on their back, and they're already through the through the fence. So we had. Um, we had piglets rocking up the driveway across the road. We had neighbours stopping and saying, you've got pigs on the road again. And, and at this stage, we weren't actually living on the farm. So we were having, I'd get phone calls and have to drive 15 minutes to go and get the piglets in. And um, Yeah, no, it's, it's sort of learning as I went. And we managed. now we have most of the time everything where it should be. I often get a, a photo from my wife saying, and that sow doesn't look like she's meant to be where she is um, and things like that. But generally speaking, we don't have them as close to the road, so we don't have them out there. I did have a, a sow that used to just jump clean fences like you would have thought she you would. Um, I mean, it was only, you know, two foot, 600, maybe 700 millimetres high, but she could um, she could just clearly jump a fence. So I was like feeding were mob on one side of the fence, she'd and she wanted that food, she'd jump over, then I'd go back and feed the other she'd buy it. Food over there now. And um yeah, she could just jump. We've got some great photos of her in full extension over the fence. So yeah, she's quite a character. She's a bit older now, she's not not as um active. You mentioned that you're um using regenerative uh, agriculture. Can you tell us what that is and and, and how that plays out on the farm? What it well, it's funny because we sort of started and we're like, well, we'll we'll follow organic practices and we won't um, spray or use chemicals and use synthetic fertilizers and that would always been a principle coming from working in the food industry. I didn't want to sort of put that into food, um, so I was sort of doing that and then we sort of we went, met this group and actually were one of the founding members of the Central Victorian Regenerative Farmers Group. And it was like, we're already doing this, but this actually has a name. And then we did some more research into it and everything else and, and found out there's a whole lot more principles to it other than what we were just doing. So um, it, it's really been like, we've kind of found our tribe from that. So the, the to me, the principle of regenerative agriculture is, is looking after the soil. So healthy soil produces healthy plants, which we are feeding to our animals, and therefore that creates healthy food. So from the ground up, if you're looking after the soil and the microbiology in the soil, then um, you're creating a healthier ecosystem. Um, so as I mentioned before, we, we don't like moonscapes. We try to keep as much ground cover on the on the farms as we can. Um, 
we do a lot of cover cropping. So I um, watched a TED Talk or a, a YouTube channel thing with Dr. Christine Jones, um, and I was just blown away by it. And by chance, about three months later, she was visiting our area and our region group managed to coax her into coming and having a chat to us. So she um, she came and visited our farm and she'd, she'd never seen pigs working. Um, and, and I'd sown some multi-species cover crops prior, earlier that season. So this was about September and they were grazing. And she said, I've never seen pigs graze. She just loved it. And um, we... Um, and she was really blown away by and just and what we were doing. And then we looked around at other places and she gave us some great advice. And, you know, we'd always been no-till this and no-till that. And the pigs um, on the areas of the farm that we farm pigs obviously till up the area. But there's other areas where we farm cattle where she said sometimes you have to cultivate once just to, to break the back of it and get it, and get a, get everything started. So... Um, and from that, we've sort of gone to strength to strength. We're starting to use um, worm teas on our, our cover crop. So we sow out a, a multi-species color crop and then we produce a worm tea from worm castings and then we'll spray that on uh, about four or five days after sowing and inoculation of seed and all sort of different attributes to... Um, to regenerative agriculture, and there's a lot of them there, but ultimately it comes down to looking after the soil and preserving ground cover. So, yeah, no, we're, we're very low, very much enjoying it and seeing the benefits too. Tell me about the benefits that it that has on the the meat that you're producing. Uh, what sort of what sort of impact does it have on on the final product? Um, I, I can't vouch. I can't say alters the taste but the animals are um yeah but the animals are just growing really well <laughs> so ultimately um that that contributes to the taste and everything else um we used to have to drench a little bit and that was probably more a learning curve of not moving the pigs on and not and having too much of them um uh, now i haven't i haven't used drench or anything like that on on pigs for years. So, um, yeah, it's, I think the animals are healthier, the soil's healthier, the plants jump out of the ground better. Um, the the bird life and the insect life, like if we've got a, a paddock full of cover crop that's gone to head, um, or I tend to like to term multi-species forage rather than cover crop because cover cropping is more of a, a term used in um, – a larger um, broad acre crop farms, but um, just having that, or uh, well, as um, as Nat, my wife calls it, we call it the, the salad bar grazing. So by having not a monoculture for the pigs to eat, but a whole variety of sometimes 12, 15 different um, species growing in the paddock, um, I mean, it's like going to the salad bar and having a choice of everything, not just going up and getting just getting the rice salad all the time. So, um, and, and that ultimately means the um, supplementary food that we're feeding to them is less um, because they've got more to choose from in the paddocks. Um, yeah, and I th- yeah, I think it's um, 
yeah, it works really well. You mentioned that the product ends up in farmers markets or in some of the restaurants in uh, in Melbourne, for instance. Is is there a, is there a, a best pork dish that you have experienced in a restaurant where it is your pork? Um, right, right when we started, we did this sort of collab with um, Hepburn Springs Mineral Water, and and um, oh my goodness, I can't remember that Ladro um, and um, Gravel Street and Pran, and um, they uh, the chefs now back back over in the UK, but. It was early, early, early days. We've probably only been going for about six months, but they took a half a, a whole pig off me and created a whole meal. So did some belly, roasted, did some leg, um, and that was that was amazing. That was the first time I'd had a chef cook our pork, and that that just blew us away. My wife and my daughter went down as well. I think Ruby, my daughter, would have been about. 10 or 12 then so um yeah it was just the whole night blew, blew us away it was really quite special um just first time that someone had cooked one of our pork dishes for us and it was for a whole group i think it was um yeah i can't even remember what the actual reason for it was <laughs> it was a great night anyway yeah. This life change that you've had sort of moving out of hospitality and into farming, which is in your family's history, what, what sort of impact has that had on your lifestyle? Oh, it's been great. Um, I've sort of swapped the 2am finishes for the 4am start some days, but um, <laughs> um, which is probably a good thing anyway. Um, I, I mean, yeah, I, I've, I've loved... I love the working outdoors. I've loved working with nature. I like the, um, I, there's hard days and the slogs and this, you know, I used to do 16, 17 hour days on the restaurant and some days I do that on the farm and it's, um, it, it's pretty tiring, but, um, I, I can, I, I see the benefit of what I'm doing and, and the, um, the growth of what we're doing and everything else and, and really, really, really enjoy it. Um, yeah. You mentioned the importance of farmers markets for what you do as well. What what do you get out of that uh, situation at farmers markets and why is it so important? Um it's well one we're we're, we're kind of small. Um so we we're, we're processing probably 12 maybe 14 pigs a month. Um so a farmers markets allow us to sell all of that um and the, and the chef, I guess, stepping away from that, the chefs that we work with, uh, the chef, they they sort of understand that we can't just supply them with um, with a whole lot of pigs without, um, or a whole lot of loin, or a whole lot of shoulder, or a whole lot of anything else. It's um, it's more a case of um, this is what we can supply if you can work with it. Where and a farmers markets again, I can. Taking back to my restaurant days, I can sell anything with a bit of advice on how to cook it and things like that. So um, we get the feedback from the farmer's markets. We great, we've made some great friends to our farmer's market customers. Um, and, and, yeah, it's just that um, people – and I, I think COVID has probably accentuated this a little bit, but people really want to know where their food's coming from. Um, 
and the shoppers we get at farmers markets um, and the farmers markets we tend to do are the ones where they are true shoppers markets as opposed to uh, oh let's have a wander around and we might grab grab something on the way out sort of thing the farmers markets we've ended up doing are the ones where people come with trolleys and shopping lists um, and, that, and they've been great um, and, and the sort of feedback and um, probably not so much with the pork but with the beef that we sell with grass-fed beef I can sort of explain the difference in the season and why it doesn't have the fat that a grain-fed animal would have on it at this time of year so um, and, and I guess the other thing is it's in my um, it's my pining for my restaurant days and my social um, interaction <laughs> to spend all week talking to my family on the farm I get to a, a um a farmer's market on a weekend and I just can't shut up. So it's um, it, it's kind of all of those um, aspects that appeal to us. You've uh, built uh, this amazing sort of little business over a period of time. What, what surprised you about the farming life? The respect that which I've always thought would be there, but just people really appreciate what you do. Um, and again, COVID accentuated that as well. I mean, we lost quite a few markets through COVID, but the ones that did stay, we, we sort of became, especially in our local Dalesford market, we were there every Sunday. And for some people, it was their only escape, um, was to go shopping outdoors uh, on a Sunday morning at the, at the market. And it was only food. And um, just the appreciation uh, it was um, it was quite humbling, actually. Um I guess that was probably one of the biggest surprises. Um, I, I've never, never, I guess having grown up watching my dad on the farm and everything else, I was never afraid of the amount of work there would be. Um, I was sort of always embraced that. And, um, and, and as we're getting a little bit bigger and a little bit more efficient, we're able to and a few more systems were able to control that. But um, I was never surprised by the amount of work. Um, I mean, animals will constantly surprise you, but... (laughs) 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 Yeah, no, I guess that's that's pretty much sums it up, yeah. You produce one of the most prized um, pork products in the country. What what do you love about what you do? I love producing good food. Um, And and again, I was sort of this whole... um, Let's get back into farming. How are we going to do it? It needs to be... We don't have enough money to buy a large farm and do commercial quantities and and sell them through markets or sell them direct. So um, let's just do it really, really small and really, really well. Um, So, yeah, that's really what it's about. And, um, yeah, that, 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 that appeals to me a lot. Well, Jono, hats off to um, what you guys have created there and it's been an honour to have you on The Crackling today to hear just a bit of your story. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. No worries, thanks very much. I've enjoyed it. This is The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstar. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.